Welcome. I'm Chris Abbas, and this is the Hiring and All Cylinders podcast. Talent acquisition teams have been disproportionately impacted over the last few years. We've had COVID, recruitment demand at an all-time high for the last 18 months, and now talent teams are facing unprecedented layoffs across the tech industry. In this episode, I talked to David Moore, VP of Talent Acquisition at Box, where we discuss how to build talent acquisition teams that are capable of handling the volatility across the tech industry. Prior to Box, David has over 20 years of TA experience across world-leading companies in Europe, APAC, and the US. He's worked for Apple, Google, and Microsoft, so there's no better person to give his insights on this subject. I hope you enjoy. Hi, David. How's it going? Good. How about you? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. So we're going to speak about something that's quite topical, um, and I think on a lot of talent leaders' minds, is we've been on this roller coaster journey over the last 18 months or so with COVID impacting you know, a huge proportion of, of the talent functions in businesses. Uh, then we had this boom over the last 18 months or so where companies couldn't get enough recruitment and talent resource. Yep. And then now we find ourselves in a position where, you know, again, recruitment and TA teams are disproportionately impacted by, by what's going on in the layoffs that are happening across the tech sector. I know that you're someone who is um, really passionate about the impact of TA and the power that it has inside organizations. And I wondered when you reflect over this recent period, you know, what's your assessment of what's gone on um, and you know, how companies have, have, have managed that and, and uh, I guess the situation over the last 18 months or so? Uh, well, I mean, it's it's kind of classic, classic tech in many ways, sort of... Um... Feast to famine, boom, you know, boom to bust very, very quickly. Uh, and I think we've seen these kinds of cycles before. I mean, I, you know, it's obviously a really difficult time. And um, most companies have had to, you know, consider or, or make really difficult trade-offs or resourcing decisions with their teams. Um, I mean, I, you know, I try and try and cling to the silver linings in a situation like this and think about the big picture. I mean, I think the tech industry has, um, or the way that the tech industry leverages talent acquisition resources has changed dramatically and evolved a lot. So that's the good news. I think you, know, you could probably argue, it may not feel that way right now, but you could probably argue it's still, you know, the best time it's ever been to get into a recruiting career in a, in a tech company. Um, but, but yeah, right now I think it's, um, it's just tough. Cause I think there have been a lot of things that have kind of come, you know, uh, sort of, come together whether it's um just the the broader economic situation that uh and the way that wall street has started looking at you know um balance sheets and uh-huh. and sort of hammering companies that are not you know showing enough tangible growth uh oh sorry t- tangible profit not growth you know growth was growth was the 18 months ago it was all about growth uh-huh. now it's all about profitability and do you have a sustainable business model and and can you afford all the resources that you hire during the pandemic? So yeah, I mean, tech has a bit of a bit of a nasty habit because it's a very aspirational industry for getting carried away. And I think it, it now feels like many companies did that during during COVID and overhired and are probably now, you know, having to sort of walk that back slightly and consolidate uh, once again. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting because I think a lot of the reason why people are intrigued and enticed by the tech sector is the the moonshot ideas and this ambition that the tech sector has to 
you know, invent the future. Um, and naturally with those kind of ambitions, there's kind of an outside, outsized level of risk as well that you have to accept. Um, and I wonder that because of the kind of 10 year bull market that we've had, um, people have kind of lost sight of how risky, you know, tech is, is actually fundamentally, um, you know, the stat that, you know, nine out of 10 startups fail seems to have not felt real, you know, during the last, you know, definitely five to 10 years. Um, you know, you've been in some of the world's highest growth tech companies and, you know, leading tech companies in the U S and Europe and Asia, and you've seen the evolution of you know, recruiting and how companies use different resources and mixes of resources. Um, is there anything that you can kind of look back on, um, about the past that maybe tells us where things might be going in the future or, or things that you think maybe, you know, we should, we could borrow and move forward that you think would work very well for this kind of environment. Hmm. Good question. I mean, I, uh, history was one of my favorite subjects at school. So I, I, I think, uh, that there, there probably are lots of things we can learn from, from the different historical cycles. Um, but I don't think there's good, you know, I mean, again, taking a step back, you're right. Tech has, has always been about, you know, big ideas and big investment and, and associated risks and, and also rewards, but there's always been, you know, there have only been a couple of cycles in the last 20, 30 years where the entire industry has been hit hard, right? So generally speaking, you, you could still argue that, you know, it's it's still a phenomenal industry to be in. It's incredibly dynamic. It's fast paced. It's exciting. You get to work with brilliant people. And in in most periods, you know, there'll be some companies that are in the ascendancy and growing very quickly. And then there'll be other companies that maybe are plateauing or, or maybe startups that, you know, are not are not sort of getting to that point where where they can become self-sustainable and and scale. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I guess that dynamism bleeds over into, you know, the way people need to think about their careers, right? You, you might need to just understand that, yeah, it's, you know, joining a tech company, probably of almost any size is never going to be a job for life, you know, in the way it used to be maybe once upon a time, but, but you can normally roll with the punches. And if you're good at what you do, you know, and, and, and there is, there has continued to be a shortage of, recruiting talent. So if you're a great recruiter that you're going to be in demand, it's as simple as that. And, and that, you know, great recruiting talent, I think is probably still in demand, in, even in this current environment, you know, right now there's, there's been unfortunately in a sort of oversupply of talent sort of hitting the market at the same time, which is going to make it feel challenging, but still, you know, all of those macro trends are going to continue to be the same. And, you know, when, when you saw that incredible stat, I can't remember the exact number now, but that stat that came out on LinkedIn, a few few months ago showing that there were more recruiting jobs open globally than, than even software engineering. Um, you know, it's, it's still a pretty good sector to be in. Uh, and I think, well, you know, are there lessons to be learned? I don't know. Maybe there are things that we can do as members of recruiting organizations to try and safeguard against the downswings, because, you know, the one thing we can say with certainty is that there will always be downswings. It's just a question of how frequently they'll come. Uh, the good news is we can also say with certainty that, you know, downswings won't last forever. And there will, you know, and again, I've seen lots of my, you know, former colleagues and peers who've been around the block a few times sort of posting on LinkedIn talking about, you know, companies always do this. And six months after they've laid laid a bunch of recruiters off, they're trying to hire them back again. And, and I've actually witnessed that firsthand. So I, I know that that's true. So yeah, things tend to, to rebound quickly. Um, now's the time to sort of hunker down and Hopefully, you know, we, we all keep our fingers crossed and the, the, the down cycle doesn't last too long. 
Yeah. And the idea of you know building a function that can withstand you know the cycles which are um you're bound to happen in in tech and if we understand and i get become comfortable with that that's going to happen in tech and there's going to be a, a kind of a boom cycle there might be a, a bit of a correction um i don't think that ta really nailed that model yet you know for no. for how they how they handle those cycles do you think it's inevitable that you know do you have to have these, you know, building teams up um, to a pretty, you know, some teams of multi-hundred person TA teams, um, yep. and then it's inevitable you're going to have to scale them down at some point. And and how do how are you thinking about that? And how what do you think are some of the ideas to to, to handle those kind of swings? Yeah, well, I think um, the TA is a is a service oriented function. So, and I think most of us who have, you know, followed the route that I've taken and have ended up in, you know, sort of participating in internal talent teams or leading internal talent teams, um, we understand that we've been hired to kind of help a company hire people and help a company hit its hiring plans and, it, and therefore its business goals. And I think we're, we're very conscious and minded of the need to, to nail that, right? I mean, you can't take a job like mine and sort of tell, you know, the CEO of a company, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll make sure my team staff to hire 50% of the people that you need next year, right? That just doesn't fly. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think we've probably almost done, you know, I mean, we've been too focused on just doing everything we need to sort of ensure the business can hit its goals. And that's left us at various points being just over our skis in terms of the number of people we have. And so maybe there's, you know, I've been thinking about this quite a lot recently. I mean, I, I wonder if there needs to be a more kind of thoughtful strategy around this so that you don't, because I mean, when you have to downsize a team, it's incredibly painful and disruptive and it crushes the morale of the team and, and it takes a heavy toll and it takes a while to recover from that. And and so I think there's, you know, in a downturn, the the finance folks tend to rule the roost and they, they produce all the numbers that show, well, you know, this much hiring is being cut, therefore these many people should be cut. But I think I think maybe we need to do a better job at sort of building in some kind of allowance for those hidden those hidden costs and those hidden sort of realities that will will hit a, a team of people if you don't insure against them. Um, and maybe maybe there does need to be again, you know, you and I have talked about this a little bit. There needs to be more a more flexible model, right? Where I can maybe ensure I've got a full time team that can hit sixty or seventy percent of our hiring needs, but then we 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 know that we're going to create some type of you know, resource buffer that we we leverage from outside of the company that can help us with the remaining 25-30% and can help us sort of deal with any small spikes in demand or maybe, you know, starting up a new office location or helping to launch a, a product and the inevitable spike that comes with that, but not sort of adding loads of people that you then find you've got to cut later on if if you don't have the resources. And and that's been tough because it's, you know, I tend to be very focused on making sure I'm bringing in incredible talent to my team so we can provide amazing support to the business leaders that we're we're working with and hiring, you know, either hiring contractors, you know, direct contractors uh, into our team. I mean, immediately it's much, much harder to, you know, during a time when recruiting talent has been in massive demand, people don't need to be contractors unless, you know, there's only a very small percentage of people that choose to be career contractors. Yeah, uh, and so it's been very, very difficult to source really good quality people who are you know committed to what you're trying to do as a business, and 
and so yeah we've we've all sort of defaulted probably to hiring more full-time folks than than we maybe should given given the very the variability in the market i'm interested in you know throughout your career so leading talent in-house has it predominantly been a trend towards you know majority of the of the of the hiring will be done by in-house teams or has that shifted over time since you've been leading town well i mean it's i mean i guess i'm biased because i've mainly worked in companies that have been very committed to sort of a primarily in-house model yeah. and i know that there's lots of other companies that are very intentional having in having you know an rpo model or yeah. uh, or much more of a blended model um so given you know that setting that aside i mean i think I think it has shifted much more to the point where, I mean, it's, it is kind of incredible that a sort of hundred person startup in Silicon Valley will, will be looking to hire a head of talent and, and they'll have a sort of recruiting team of eight, 10, 12 people. And they'll see that as one of their most critical acquisitions, you know, to help the company be successful. Right. Whereas mm -hmm. again, it's definitely come a massively long way during the arc of my career. I think, you know, probably when I first started there, you didn't have internal talent teams. You you had HR teams that tried to recruit people and they would generally put, you know, um, postings on job boards or, um, and, and then they do use agencies when they struggled. And then it kind of, then it sort of changed and you had, you know, there was a big shift in the UK anyway, when I was younger to companies that were outsourcing or, or sort of looking to leverage a sort of master vendor agreement or put a, put a big sort of master vendor solution in place to leverage their buying power and, and sort of provide more, control over what they were doing um and then they started insourcing it and sort of you know and I, th I think when i first came to california 12 years ago there was still a large percentage of companies that would just staff up that they knew that they had they knew that they wanted to dictate to their recruiters kind of how they did their job rather than relying on an external third-party vendor but they would typically see it as quite a transactional activity and they would hire contractors to do that so that they could hire and fire them um, as, as things went up and down. And, and then the, f the final sort of evolution was where we are today, which is most companies see investing in a full-time core of internal recruiting talent as, as a, a key sort of step in their, in their business strategy. And then, but then yeah, obviously there's companies like yours that will help to augment and provide additional resources as and, as and when needed. And do you think that push has been a desire to control quality or it's a culture thing or it's a results thing or do you, what do you think the driving force because I've, I've thought about this you know why there's been the shifts and you know why outsourcing is is fashionable sometimes and you know um, and why in-house why the shift to in-house and and i tend to think maybe it's a combination of you know maybe you've got some talent leaders that um want to manage it want to have that experience building and managing a team yeah that's that's very real um I think maybe there's a lack of quality vendors out there that maybe get it or um, or solutions that really fit the tech sector. Um, maybe it's a culture thing. There's this notion that you it's very hard to find culture fit, you know, when you're using outside vendor. But I'm interested in your take and what 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 do you think that shift is, and how how do we how do we combat that if if the future is you know like a flexible option? Yeah. Well, I think I, mean, I think it's a bunch of different things. I mean, it can come down to the the history and perspective of the person making the decision, right? I mean, some people came from a background where they'd worked in industries or companies where it was much less common to have an internal team. And so they're much more prone to wanting to outsource that, you know, outsource it to a specialist kind of thing. Um, 
Whereas there are other people that, have, and I think it has become much more of a sort of default attitude or mentality within tech, especially where people do think, oh, the only way to do this well or do this really well is is if you build your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, now I'm I'm sure you've worked with many clients, you know, who would say otherwise and say that your your team has provided them with phenomenal service. Um, but I think. That's certainly, you know, that's certainly a philosophy that I've bought into, I guess, in my career, and I've I've enjoyed being part of. I mean, I think from my perspective, building out an internal team, you know, why 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 do companies do that? Well, they, I think they do it because, yeah, you're right, control. They they want to be able to control when when you recognize that hiring talent is one of the most, you know, single most important things that you're going to do as a company, and it's going to have massive downstream effects on 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 the company culture and and business performance and the ability for you to, you know, hit financial goals and product launches and everything else, you know, you need to be pretty careful about how you select and and bring that talent into the company. And so having people that, that really buy into the company's culture and mission and can articulate it really in a really compelling way to candidates. I mean, that's, that's golden. Right. Um, and I think I noticed, you know, when I, again, coming into the U S when I met people that, primarily chosen to manage their career in recruiting through contracting gigs again they tended to have a more transactional mindset which is understandable because they you know they knew they were likely to get laid off as soon as things turned around because they were they were just contracting yeah. um but i think again this this notion of your internal talent team genuinely doing more or, or sort of being seen to be a more valuable function than just a sort of resume machine um you know to me that was always quite exciting right and, and this notion of if you're a if you're representing a third party vendor, it's always going to be a little bit difficult to sit down with a senior business leader or hiring manager and tell him or her you're doing it wrong. Um, you're actually looking for the wrong person. You're paying the wrong amount of money. I mean, you know, the good ones will, but but it, it's quite hard to find really really seasoned people that have got the courage to kind of you know push back on a on a yeah. business leader when they're being paid to kind of you know to, to come in as, as an external expert. Whereas whereas yeah, internal talent teams should be empowered and emboldened to do that, right? To kind of say, yeah, look, we're, you know, we we think the the right strategy for this for this team is to locate it here at these levels and we should be looking for these skills, not these skills, and based on what we're saying, you know. So I think there's yeah, the, I mean I I spend a lot of time talking to my team about about that, that, this notion that we are we're paid to be trusted advisors, not just folks that ship resumes across and when folks say, you know, jump, we say how high, you know? Yeah. So if, I guess if we're looking at the future and, you know, what this mixture of flexible and permanent resource looks like, it seems like the more business facing, I guess, senior level stuff like, you know, pushing back and working on the strategy and building process and um, candidate experience, you know, hiring manager experience, all that kind of stuff maybe is delivered by the core Intel team, but the kind of higher volume top of funnel activity, the stuff that really does probably need to scale up dramatically or come down dramatically, yeah. um, could be outsourced in in some way. Um, do you think that's what the future of, of TA looks like, or do you like how, how are you imagining it? Well, I mean, I think I think we've all tried various versions of this already. Right. And, and I'm sure you've seen this in, you know, as your company's grown, um, you know, in some cases you can take a particular part of the hiring process. So sourcing is a good example. And you bring in a vendor to just help you plug that gap and to generate pipeline for your internal teams. 
in other cases, you know, you you say, okay, my my core team is going to focus just on this part of our hiring, and you know, maybe we're going to outsource the executive bit to external search firms, or we're going to outsource the the more junior hiring to, you know, to to an agency or or to a to a vendor, or or maybe yeah, you you look at a particular niche. Maybe you need, you know, I've always been intrigued by the idea of it's pretty hard for to to, to find folks for your internal talent team that are just expert at everything, right? And and so the best recruiters you have internally are generally pretty agile and able to, you know, you you want to be able to throw them at whatever your biggest business problem of the day is, but it's pretty hard to find someone who is a real guru and an expert, say in security hiring or design hiring or hiring for creative roles um, that require, I remember being at Apple and the first time I met the team that, you know, did hiring for creative, it was, you know, they, they, they genuinely knew how to read and rate portfolios. And I was like, what, what is that? You know, that, that, that looks pretty, that looks pretty hard. I don't, I don't know how to do that. Um, so yeah, sometimes it, you know, you need to go and find real, you know, expert folks that have deep roots into the industries where you need to select candidates from. And, and that would be a good way to go. Um, so there's lots of different ways you can do it. I guess it just depends on what, your own needs are. And in other cases, it could be geographically driven, right? You, you could decide, okay, we're not going to, we're not sure at this point, you know, we, we know that the business wants to invest in South America, say, but we're not sure what that looks like over a five-year period. And and so maybe it makes sense to go into that market and leverage some local resources first, and then see what kind of resourcing level is sustainable in the long run. Excellent. And, and it seems like, you know, one of the biggest blockers for you know, using vendors and third parties is this that quality control that you mentioned and this idea of, you know, feeling very confident in the ability of the, the function that you're working with to deliver the company's goals. What advice would you give to you know, another talent leader who's maybe thinking, okay, I need to do something new here. This clearly maybe isn't fit for these cycles in tech and I'm going to try something new. I'm going to try a different mix of a of talent team. How would you go about Joe assessing you know vendors or or different sources it could be tech it could be whatever um that flexible resource um for quality and to, to maybe gain some confidence are there other things that you would look at specifically that would make you feel you know confident um well i mean like like any relationship you know it takes a bit of time for that trust to develop right so i think the first thing you probably would do is is design a couple of opportunities to pilot and, and do some testing with a with a one or two or three different vendors and just see see how they, how they do see how how the partnership's working see how committed each vendor is to, to your business because in some cases they might might be overcommitted elsewhere and may just not be able to allocate you the right time and, and resources um so yeah i think you've really got to play around with it um I mean, now's a good time to be doing it, right? Because we, I, I mean, I think, you know, I was actually, you know, talking to you and a few of, of your competitors, say 18 months ago, when I was thinking, I was trying to be quite intentional and thoughtful about, you know, establishing some good partnerships, mm -hmm. but things were moving so quickly at that time. Um, and, and you know, companies like yours had, you know, com you know, companies calling you desperately trying to find talent. So things were just moving way too quickly, right? And I think yeah. probably that was good for for you know for for you and for your peers but at the same time it probably was all just a bit too chaotic and uh and i'm sure some of those relationships have stuck really well and, and are going to end up being lasting partnerships for your business but then some of them would have fallen by the wayside because there wasn't the time 
to really build those relationships and to understand the business needs. And so, yeah, I think, you know, I, ideally during a, a slightly more, more fallow period, we'll, we'll have the time to kind of think that through. And, and yeah, for, for me and for my peer group, I guess, thinking about what, what you really need, right. You know, not every, again, you know, not every vendor is going to have the right sort of blend of, of skills or the right business model that's going to suit, suit what you need. There's this notion of, you know, I think that the, the best partnerships typically have um, a kind of setup for success on on both sides, right? When when you're looking at different um, options, and uh, you know, how do you work to kind of make sure that you know, from your side, do you have to dedicate you know a certain amount of resource to that to that partnership or a certain amount of time? Do you make sure you're tracking certain data points over a 30, 60 day period? Like what does that look like for you in terms of um, you know, tracking that performance? Well, yeah, I mean, there's obviously various metrics you can you can put in place to you know to sort of tangibly measure output. Um, but but again, you know, and and yeah, don't get me wrong; those things are obviously important to look at and measure, so you can really, I guess, you know, try and assess the ROI that you're getting from from the money you're investing with these companies. But but I think I think to actually work out if if it's a sort of long-term sustainable partnership i mean it's much more yeah i mean i think you're right the the companies have to make sure that they're being reasonable and realistic and investing time in the partnership from their side and getting you know making sure they're giving access to to the vendors so to sort of really understand their business and sort of try and embed themselves as far as possible so that they can they can do that do their job right um because again it does you know if you try and hold them at arm's length and you don't give them transparency you don't give them the information they need then it's going to be very very difficult for them to really provide the level of support and service that they they want mm-hmm. and i and i guess you know on the topic of evolution i mean i've spoken to a lot of people that are maybe thinking about you're looking for new roles they're on the job market you know recruiters and and um do you think people in the industry should start thinking about their role differently and, and preparing for the for a change in how you know, recruiters, recruiters are going to be seen in a company or the work they're going to be doing. And and if you were kind of a, a senior recruiter, would you be thinking about what to focus on and, you know, the skills to develop differently than, than you would, you know, five, 10 years ago? Um, well, is that role going to change? I think, I think it is going to change. Uh, I mean, again, you know, maybe I'm clinging to silver linings, but, um, I think all of the macro trends still show that recruiting talent is going to be in high demand, uh-huh. uh, and that what we're going through now is a you know a big blip and a painful one. But but you know when you know the, the chart's still going up and to the right um, over the course of a sort of 15, 20 year period. So I think I think you know the good news is there will still be great demand for recruiting talent. I think, um, and again, you know I. You know, I think I might have talked to you about this or, or other other colleagues. I mean, the the industry has been very much le- legitimized over the last sort of 15, 20 years, right? It used to be, you know, certainly when I was growing up in back in the UK, it was not seen or perceived to be a particularly great industry to be in. Um, but now now it's kind of it's legit. I mean, and companies value it very highly and pay pay people well to to do the job. And yeah. You know, to the, to the extent where I, I'm sort of now wondering why on earth are there not four year, you know, degrees and, and courses um, that help to sort of bring through uh, a, a new sort of 
wave of, of TA talent because it's a, it's an incredible industry to be in, right? And like I said, there was that there's a huge number of roles. And the good thing about the industry is that the barrier to entry is relatively low. You don't need to have a specific technical, you know, okay. degree or qualification to do the job. And so, you know, it's an inc- it's an incredible way for people from all different backgrounds to to have a really great career working for for some you know amazing companies. Absolutely. Um, but coming back to your question about the role, yeah, I mean, I think technology is starting to move at an ever faster pace, and um, I you know, there's been lots of chatter in our world about you know, the machines coming to take over and, and is AI going to sort of replace us all? And I, I've been a big sort of skeptic of that uh, for most of the last 10 years or so, just because I haven't seen many tools that, you know, there's been lots of promise and lots of promises made yeah. uh, or big claims made, but I haven't actually seen um, evidence that, you know, that the, the, the tools are really providing the, the level of, uh, you know, the, 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 any any level of service or support that can it can replace um a sort of human but again you know i just started hearing a lot more about some of these um you know these ai tools the this sort of um chat gpt thing that's been taking the market by storm in the last few weeks and and um i was actually playing around with it with a with one of my team last week and was pretty stunned at at how good it was um it was the first time i'd seen it and i was i was honestly quite blown away but I, I, again, I, I still feel fairly optimistic that it's, it's not going to mean recruiting jobs go away. It just means that recruiting jobs will change and evolve. Uh, and hopefully what it means is that recruiters will no longer have to do kind of what I would call, you know, administrative low value tasks, like, you know, grinding through hundreds and hundreds of resumes that have been applied, you know, that have come in through application yeah. and that will get done in seconds through a, you know, some kind of tool and, th- and they'll therefore get the chance to spend more and more time uh, consulting with their, you know, with their stakeholders, right. And, and talking to candidates. And so I, and, and so they can spend their time on those really strategic high value activities that, that really they get paid to do, you know, because there's, there's always been a, a challenge of just the amount of admin that's involved. And I, I remember, you know, still being a recruiter myself, just trying to, trying to keep all the plates spinning and you, you get to the end of the week and you realize you'd spent literally like an hour, you know, sourcing on all the jobs that you had. And you're like, well, okay, I'm a recruiter. I'm surely my, my job should be about finding talent, engaging talent, talking to talent, talking to the people that need the talent. And all I was doing really was just, you know, adding notes into a database or, you know, um, filling out reports or, um, or or grinding through hundreds and hundreds of applications. And, and that was a fairly, you know, boring and uh, poor use of my time, right? So I think if, uh, if we can, br- I think tools are going to transform that in a huge way in the next 10 years. I think that's maybe it. That's maybe the actual you know, ultimate conclusion of how we manage this, you know, scaling up and say scaling down is if you have this core team of, you know, recruiters who are working on the strategic work and then you can flex with the uh, seats on a platform, you know, or, or um, like AWS, you know, capacity, you could have you know, this kind of function where the more resource demand you have, the more expensive monthly cost it is when it comes down, it can just be completely dynamic. Um, I don't know how far we are away, but it feels like it's getting closer and closer. So, um, you know, maybe that's the, we're just going to have to find the best way to deal with it until that point. Um, um, and hopefully they don't come for our our jobs too, too soon after. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, (laughs) hopefully I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sort of in the, the the latter stages of my career, so I won't have to worry about that. But, um, I think it, I mean, it's, 
it's going to con- continue changing. Um, and, and I think it's not just going to be our industry either. It's, you know, whether it's customer service type jobs that are increasingly being replaced by bots and all that kind of, I mean, having interacted with a lot of bots in customer service uh, teams, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a premium experience. <laughs> and so there's probably a ways to go, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's coming, but but there'll be other jobs, hopefully that that you know we'll we'll get to do instead, right? So it will be more of a shift and a change rather than a replacement. Absolutely. Well, so to end on a positive note, um, so apart from you being on a, a beach somewhere in the next, you know, when you're you're setting off for the sunset before the robots come in, um, what are you what are you most um, excited about regarding the the future of the TA industry? Well, I mean, I think the COVID was a pretty incredible time. Um, but I, I think it's really opened up some extraordinary possibilities for our industry that, um, you know, I mean, this, this idea of remote work and the ability to access talent anywhere. Yeah. I mean, there were lots of companies that were talking about that and talking about digital transformation, but it just wasn't happening. Right. And there was so many people that were, and again, look at, look at the tech industry. The tech industry was wedded to a model where they're, entire well a large part of their talent attraction strategy was centered around having a cool office right and, and having having perks in those offices to keep people in those buildings for as long as possible um now i mean i don't think that's dead i mean in fact there are signs currently that you know there are companies sort of sliding back in that direction but i think the dam has finally burst in the sense that companies have now had this two-year experiment where they've been able to prove and show that you can hire somebody in you know, another country or a different state in the US and you can access different pools of talent that, that we traditionally haven't been able to access as TA leaders. And I think that's really, that's really exciting. I mean, I, I've done it with my own team. You know, we, we, we now tend to hire far fewer recruiters locally in the Bay Area here. And we have found some phenomenal people in, in different parts of the US and different parts of the world. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's still this big debate about which model is best and, you know, and I still enjoy going into our headquarters building and, and sort of seeing my, you know, my coworkers and, and sort of spending time in person. And yet I also really cherish the, the, the really cool people I've, I've, I've gotten to know and get to work with who are, who I've never met. Right. But, um, and yet, you know, we're now, yeah, we're now able to sort of access that talent in, in those places. And, and I think that's, that's gonna, that leads to a lot more really exciting possibilities. So, um, I think that's pretty cool. Absolutely. Well, thanks a lot, David. It's been really great to chat and um, I'll speak to you very soon. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Take care.